Today, um, we're going to talk about an amazing uh, chapter in the Bible, one of the most incredible and poetic and meaningful chapters in the Bible of all. Um, and um, basically, what, what you're seeing on the screen behind you there is um, the Memorial of Heroic Self-Sacrifice in London. Now, that's a memorial that was put up by an artist in the 1800s to commemorate people who had given their lives to save other people. Uh, and the example that you can see there is a young boy, age 10, who um, saved somebody from drowning, a younger boy from drowning, and died in the process. Um, so it commemorates these amazing people, um, and I'm sure we can be inspired by people who've given their lives or risked their lives for others. It's incredible. But the chapter that we're going to read from today, Isaiah 53, is about somebody who did an even greater sacrifice than that, who gave gave his life, but gave his life not just for one person, but for a whole nation, in, a, in fact, for the whole world. Um, and we're going to read about that person today and be inspired by, by him. So, uh, just for some context, um, Isaiah, um, the whole book of Isaiah, was written around BC 740, so that's 740 years before Christ. Um, it was written by uh, Isaiah, who was a prophet, who was basically a prophet speaks from God, actually is speaking the words of God. There are people who claim to be prophets, but their prophecies don't always come true. They obviously can't be speaking from God, because if you're speaking from God, everything is going to come true. And Isaiah was an example of somebody who his prophecies came true uh, many years later. Um, in fact, his name is very appropriate. Um, it means the Lord is salvation. And what he was going to be talking about in his prophecy was predicting the salvation of the nation of Israel and the salvation of the world. So the original audience was the nation of Israel um, and it wasn't all good news for them and the prophet Isaiah wasn't particularly um, popular in those times. A lot of prophets, a lot, a lot of true prophets aren't popular because they're predicting sometimes judgment and sometimes bad things for people. Um, and he was predicting, first of all, that um, because of their sin and because of them going away from God, that they would soon be taken into captivity by the Babylonians, an empire which was going to take them into captivity, take them away from their homeland, and keep them for a, a number of years. But there was also good news, because Isaiah prophesied, he predicted, that they would eventually return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, and good things would happen. And most of all, and most, the biggest and best news was the fact that eventually they would also come to salvation um, through somebody who the Isaiah 53 talks about and that is this servant called a righteous servant throughout the book of Isaiah um, but it is widely believed to have been a prophecy of their Messiah there, there have already been lots and lots of prophecies predicting this Messiah who was going to come and was going to bring them to salvation with God um, and that is what Isaiah 53 is about basically it explains not only gives them a picture so that they could see, they could recognise their saviour when he came by seeing what lined up within Isaiah 53, but also, most importantly actually, why he was needed in the first place, because they didn't quite understand that, and also what he would do for them as well when he got there. One thing I'd just say, it is a prophecy, so this was written a long, long time before this came to fruition, before it was fulfilled, um, but you'll notice that it's talking in the past tense, so it's talking as if these things have happened. Now, people sort of, this can be confusing because you think, oh, well, that must have happened in the past, but no, it is something that happens in the future, and people have a lot of explanations for that, and the way I describe it is like 
if you're on a film and you're watching a film and they do a flashback to the past and you are taken into the past and you sort of see what happened in the past, you're immersed in that. Well, this is similar in terms of what Isaiah is seeing here through what God's showing him. It's actually like a flash forward. So he's being transported to a time in history after this has just been fulfilled and he's looking back and seeing what's happening. So hopefully that will explain a little bit. And Caroline is now going to come up and is going to read um, Isaiah 53. Red, Caroline, thank you. So what I wanted to do, first of all, because um, it is really a beautiful passage, I'm sort of in awe in terms of doing it justice today because it is um, so incredible. Um, written, as I say, in BC uh, 740, um, so very, very ancient, and there are copies of this which, which um, date back a really, really long way. So first of all, what I wanted to do, like the nation of Israel was being given a picture of their Messiah, of this servant character, I wanted to just build up a photo fit so that we can see what the attributes are and uh, see if we can find out who this might be. So first of all, we find out um, from the pronouns that he is male. This, this um, Messiah figure is going to be male. We also found he was, find he was human. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, so he's going to grow up and like a root out of dry ground. 
it says in Isaiah um, 53, verse 2. We hear, surprisingly, that he wasn't attractive. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. So the Jewish people, you know, what God's trying to tell them here is because they had this sort of vision of this Messiah coming and being a great warrior and being a very impressive character who was going to save them from the Romans, save them from their enemies, or their other enemies as well. Um, But actually Isaiah tells us something very different. It says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. This man was going to suffer. He was going to be despised and rejected. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Also, he was going to seem, it was going to seem like he was punished by God, much like Job, who we've been reading about in recent months, who seemed his friends thought he'd been punished by God. So, so people were going to also think that this man was going to be punished by God. We considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, it reads. He's also going to be pierced, so um, physically pierced. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, it reads in in verse 5. And he'd be unfairly treated as well. Um, He was oppressed and afflicted. We learn that despite this, he's going to stay humble. He's going to stay silent. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth, it tells us. It tells us that this man is going to be uh, judged and killed. Um, By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. He was cut off from the land of the living. Um, Cut off from the land of the living means he's going to die. And oppression and judgment, that means he's going to be imprisoned and and judged. We find that nobody in his nation, none of the Israelite people, would would protest about this. Um, Yet who of this generation protested? And a very... Niche detail here. He was given a grave with the wicked and the rich. Um, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. So this is a kind of strange detail to give and kind of hard to work out until we understand it. But this is um, this is how detailed Isaiah gets in when he's making this prophecy. We find that despite him being uh, suffering and being judged and being put to death, he was innocent. He had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. And we find that, you know, despite this person being the Messiah, he's going to have a servant attitude. He's going to be like a servant. And he will rise from the dead. So while, while some of the sort of attributes that Isaiah has come up with, you could think, well, you might guess, rising from the dead is quite a big one to fulfill, I think we'll agree. And um, he's also going to justify people. That means he's going to make people right with God. Um, he's going to heal them. Um, he will see the light of life. That is, he will rise again and be satisfied by his knowledge, that is, by, by his message, my righteous servant will justify and make right many people, it says in Isaiah 53:11. And finally, the final attribute, and there are more attributes in Isaiah that I could go, but I've limited it to 13, just so it doesn't go on too long. But um, he will be called great. Um, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. Um, he will be lifted high and he will triumph and he will have a victory. Despite all that suffering, despite being put to death and being rejected, he's going to have a victory. So this is what the suffering servant, this is what the righteous servant, the Messiah is going to do. And uh, this was the picture that God was creating through the prophet Isaiah for the people of Israel so they would recognise their saviour when he came. So who is this servant? Because there's a lot of people through time who claims to be the Jewish Messiah. There's lots of people who claim to be Jesus. Uh, in the 80s, there was a weatherman um, and sports reporter who claimed to be Jesus. Um, he's now a conspiracy theorist online, but 
he's not the Messiah because he doesn't fulfill any of those um, things in Isaiah, in the whole of Isaiah, in Isaiah 53 and in the whole of the Bible. And in order to be the true Messiah, it needs to line up with the whole of Scripture. And nobody has done that. Nobody apart from one person. And uh, you can probably guess who that is. It's uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who fulfills all these 13 points. And he also fulfills every prophecy in the Old Testament, uh, which is pretty incredible. Uh, what I wanted to do quickly, fairly quickly, is just to go through and to show you how that all lines up. Because Isaiah 53 is, is a chapter which is used by Christians a lot of the time to walk through with Jewish people and explain to them, try to show them this is their Messiah, Jesus was their Messiah, because they don't believe that Jesus is their Messiah. So what I wanted to do is just go through and just match up and just check, does it all line up? So let's do that now. So first of all, is Jesus male? Is he human? Well, yep. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord, so he's male. And yes, he's human. Certainly, and he also grew up like a baby, like all of us. He was, ten, he was like a tender shoot, as it says in the verse. You know, he's, yeah, he's fragile, like all of us. Um, so, yep, yeah, that works out. He wasn't attractive. Well, we can't say, because remarkably, in the Bible, in his earthly life, there is no description of Jesus, what he looks like, um, his physical appearance. We put a lot of importance on physical appearance. We probably expect somebody who's a messiah or a hero to be kind of attractive or impressive. Yet Isaiah tells us he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. So through the Bible, we have no way of telling whether Jesus was an impressive looking person. But if we take Isaiah's word for it, we can see that he probably wasn't. Um, those pictures we have of Jesus looking blue-eyed and beautiful, may not be 100% accurate because Isaiah tells us that there was nothing particularly that was going to make him impressive to mankind. A bit like John the Baptist, who, let's face it, well, there, there actually is a description of John the Baptist in there. There isn't one of Jesus, but they, um, the description is that, yeah, he's not the sort of person that you'd sort of think of being a particularly great person. You know, somebody who lived in the wilderness, and yet God used him. And God was going to do the ultimate act of salvation through somebody who wasn't that impressive to his people. So much so that they didn't actually recognise him. Did Jesus suffer? Um, was he um, despised and rejected? Well, yes, Jesus says it himself. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man, that is him, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected. And as we see um, in the Bible, um, when he was crucified, people were mocking him, scorning him, sneering at him. He was despised, he was rejected by his people, they didn't accept him as the Messiah, and he certainly was a man of suffering, there's no question about that. So he fulfills that one. Did he seem punished by God? Well, the Jewish people certainly thought so. They thought that through his blasphemy, he was getting rightly tried and punished by God on the cross for lying about himself being the Messiah. Um, of course, he wasn't lying, but even Jesus in that moment, going through the incredible suffering he was going through, had reason to wonder why God had left him. So it's not surprising that people thought he was being punished. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me just before he died? So yes, he seemed punished by God. So that one fits. Was he pierced for our transgressions? Well, yes, physically he was pierced. He was pierced in his side to prove he was dead by a soldier, by a centurion on the cross. So he was pierced in his side. He was also pierced in his, his hands and his feet or his his wrists and his ankles, wherever he was pierced, but he was definitely pierced physically. Of course, was he pierced for our transgressions? That's something a lot more, and I think we see 
in um, Romans 5, 8-10 that explains how Jesus was in fact pierced for our sin and for the sin of the nation of Israel. Um, Paul says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, so reconciled through the death of Jesus, as it says in Isaiah 53, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So yes, Jesus was pierced, and he was pierced, we're told in the Bible, for our transgressions, for our sins. Was Jesus unfairly treated? I think, yes, we already have had a picture that that was probably the case. But if there was any doubt, um, they created a crown of thorns for him. Of course, he was scourged, he was beaten, he was mocked. He was, they mocked him by calling him um, King of the Jews. So yes, Jesus was indeed unfairly treated. But despite that, he stayed silent and humble. So much so that the governor at the time, Pilate, was amazed by the fact that with facing all these false accusations, and Pilate knew that he was innocent, he would not stand up for himself, he wouldn't fight back. Um, Basically it says that Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. So yes, he stayed silent and humble throughout this situation. So he fits that one too. Uh, Was he judged and killed? Well, yes, the Jewish leaders insisted we have a law and according to that law he must die. He was judged by them and he was handed over to be crucified and we know that he died as well. So yes, he was judged and killed. Fits that part of the prophecy. Did anybody object? Well, no, in fact, they cried for him to be crucified. They let a prisoner go instead of him who was guilty. Let him go. Let Jesus die in his place. And even the disciples, even his followers, were strangely quiet on the day of crucifixion. So nobody did indeed object. Now this kind of niche bit um, is also fulfilled. Uh, Was Jesus given a grave with the wicked and the rich? Well, yes he was. He was crucified there along with the criminals. So he died along with the wicked, the criminals. But then when he was taken down from the cross... He was given uh, the grave or the, the, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, who we're told there was a rich man. There came a rich man from Arimathea called Joseph. So yes, he was given a grave with the wicked and the rich. So that's a pretty, pretty difficult one for Isaiah to have guessed. Was Jesus innocent? Well, yes, he was. Pilate himself said that he was innocent. He said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But also, and I suggest you read into this if, if you don't believe me, he was he was sinless in his life, so he was indeed completely innocent. The only man who has ever been sinless in the history of, of mankind. So yes, Jesus was very much innocent. Um, was Jesus a servant? Well, actually, God affirms this himself when Jesus is baptised, because speaking, speaking down as Jesus gets baptised, he says, Here is my servant, who I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. So this is God himself showing and actually quoting Isaiah 53, saying, here is my servant. This is the servant that they were waiting for. And God is affirming that right there. And and throughout the Bible, there's also in the New Testament, there's lots of references to Jesus being this servant-type character. And he he refers to himself as a servant as well. Uh, Will he rise? Will he rise from the dead? Yes, he has risen, it says in Mark 16, uh, 6. And of course, he ascends to heaven as well. So Jesus did... uh, did rise again. That's a hard one for Isaiah to make up. That's a hard one for him to guess correctly. Jesus rose from the dead, and there aren't many people who can say that. 
Uh, Romans 5, 9, in terms of whether he justifies, whether he makes people right with God, Jesus fulfills that as well. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him, it says in Romans 5, 9. So yes, he will justify. He's, he's hitting all of these exactly. Finally, will Jesus be called great? Well, yes, we find out he's called great. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, it says in Philippians 2.9. And people around the world every, every day raise Jesus' name high. We raised his name high this morning and we'll continue to do it. Jesus, despite all that suffering, despite dying, despite being rejected, he rose again and he had a victory over death and sin. And this is amazing. So he's, he's made, this is 13 attributes in Isaiah 53. There are many more. Jesus fulfills them all. And he also fulfills all the prophecies in the Old Testament as well. It's pretty amazing stuff. Just to complete the case, in case that wasn't enough, we can look outside of Isaiah 53. There are loads of references in the New Testament to Isaiah 53. I think it's the most quoted book in the New Testament, actually. It could be wrong, but I think it is. Jesus himself explains to the disciples, um, and he's quoting verse 12 of Isaiah 53. He says, It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. So this is Jesus saying, I am the subject of Isaiah 53. He's explaining that. And also, when an Ethiopian eunuch is, is thinking of converting to, to Christianity and talks to Philip, Philip, he, the eunuch is actually reading Isaiah 53, and he's asking, who is this person? Who, who is this? Was this Isaiah? Is Isaiah talking about himself? Is it somebody else? And uh, this is what happens. It says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So this is Philip using Isaiah 53 to preach to this eunuch about Jesus Christ. So he's explaining, this is the prophecy. This was meant for you. This was so you could understand that this is who Jesus is. And this and, and the eunuch um, converted to Christianity, which is amazing. So what are the odds of this happening? You know, how, how, how easy would it be for Isaiah and the other prophets in the Old Testament to guess this right and to get all these facts about Jesus right? Well, as I said, there's hundreds um, of um, prophecies in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm just going to talk about eight, basically. Um, so... Basically, if you believe in chance, which we kind of shouldn't as Christians, but if you were to believe in chance, then there's a book called Science Speaks by Peter Stoner and Robert Newman. And it claims that if Jesus had filled just eight of the hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, that's just eight, the statistical chance of them getting that right by chance would be 100 quadrillion to one. Now, that's a one with 17 zeros behind it. That's a massive, massive... That's odds that any logical person would say no scientifically impossible for that to come true, you know, for somebody to guess correctly. And I'm talking about eight there, that's eight, not hundreds. So, incredibly, I think what Isaiah 53 and what the whole of Isaiah and what the whole of the Old Testament does is we should take amazing faith in the fact that these people predicted Jesus very, very, very accurately. And the chances of them doing that are illogical. Um, so it should give us great faith in this incredible book and in this incredible chapter which predicts our saviour, Jesus Christ. You know, I mean, if you think about, you know, if we sat down today and we, I asked you to come up with a prophecy for what the President of the United States would be like in the year 2700, and I need you to list 15 attributes of that person, or even hundreds of attributes, and you wrote them all down, 
I can pretty much guarantee you you're not going to get those right unless you're hearing directly from God. So, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing what people agree. So I think from all that that we've just gone through, hopefully um, you felt it's worthwhile, but I think we can agree that Isaiah 53 points to Jesus. There are Jewish people who don't, obviously, well, generally if you're a Jewish person you don't believe that it points to Jesus, but it's, it's a sort of book that they kind of try to avoid a little bit. They might say that it points to the nation of Israel, but it doesn't line up with it being the nation of Israel. Um, I think we can, we can have a lot of faith in believing that Isaiah 53 points to Jesus. But just to, just to focus on that, we'd, we'd be missing quite a lot of what's in Isaiah 53. And I want to go through some other stuff which is really, really crucial. And I think the real meaning of Isaiah 53 is why we need Jesus. You know, yes, he's the Messiah. We believe he's the Messiah. If he's the Messiah, well, why does that matter to us? What's the importance? You know, what did he come to do? Why do we need him? And what did he do for us? And what did he do for the people, for the Israelites who were reading this? What did he do for them? Or what would he do for them? And I think Isaiah 53 explains, first of all, explains the diagnosis, explains the problem, and then it reveals the cure. And that cure is going to be this Messiah figure. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That's the diagnosis. We've all gone wrong in the sight of God. We're all not righteous enough to get to heaven. We're not righteous enough to make ourselves right with God. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So all of, all of our sin has been laid on Jesus Christ. So Jesus has come as the cure to this problem that over centuries the Israelite people haven't been able to solve basically. Um, and the wording there where it says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, they would have understood that to relate to animal sacrifices and to scapegoats they had, which they used to, every year they'd have to put their sins onto this scapegoat or onto the, these sacrifices to make themselves right continually with God. And they'd do this year after year after year. They'd be laying their sins on these animals. Um, but what Isaiah 53 tells us is that this saviour is going to come and all of their sin, all of their iniquity, is actually going to be laid on him. And because he's the son of God, because he's divine, their sin will not be taken away for a year. It's going to be taken away forever. Once and for all, for absolutely everybody. Uh, and that is what Jesus will do for them. So, um, as we saw during, during, as I've just mentioned, during those Old Testament times, the Jewish people had tried everything they could to make themselves right with God. They tried to keep the law, but none of them could keep it 100% correctly, as Jesus was to fulfil it. He was to do that in his life. Um, Romans 3, 10 and 11, uh, quoting the book um, Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is not one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Um, and Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is the diagnosis for us. We have no chance of having a relationship with God, we have no chance of getting right with God and eternal life with God unless something happens. And that thing happened through Jesus Christ. For the nation of Israel, by Jesus dying, um, 740 years after Isaiah predicted it, Jesus died for them on the cross, cleansing their sins if they would only believe. And Jesus died for us so that we too could be cleansed of our sins and experience eternal life and conquer death. Why does it matter that we've sinned and fall short of the glory of God? What, what, why is that a problem? Well, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. 
we sin, we die, basically. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus is the solution. He was the solution. This is what he was coming to do. And this is what Isaiah 53 was trying to tell them. It was trying to tell them, your Saviour is not coming to set up this earthly kingdom where you're going to rule over the Romans and everything. And you're going to be really mighty and prosperous. You're going to have your best life now. It's not about that at all. God is trying to tell them in Isaiah 53, no, Jesus is going to come, your Messiah is going to come, and what he's going to do, he's not going to be impressive, he's not going to be what you expect, in fact he's going to be put to death. But the reason he's going to be put to death is so that all these animal sacrifices which weren't getting you right with God, all the law keeping you tried to do and being a good person wasn't working, Jesus was going to do it for you. That's what your Messiah was going to do. And this was what Isaiah, God through Isaiah, was trying to tell to the Israelite people. So this is good news, and it's good news that's worth repeating, because in Isaiah, it is repeated many, many times. It's only, you heard, it's only a short uh, chapter, 12 verses, but in that, at least six times, more than six times, God repeats, through the prophet Isaiah, this message time and time again. Um, in Isaiah 53, 4, he says, Surely, he, Jesus, took up our pain and bore our suffering. And this is one of the most beautiful verses in the entire Bible. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So there, you've got it four times repeated. So, you would have thought the, the nation of Israel would have seen this, because it's repeated so many times. But they missed it. And in fairness, they didn't have the whole Bible to look at like we have. They didn't have mobile phones and the internet, which wouldn't have been helpful either, to be able to discuss this and learn from each other. But let's have a look at it. It says, he was pierced for our transgression. So Jesus was punished for us, punished for our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was crushed for our wrongdoings, for our sin. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. So we get peace through his punishment. And by his wounds, by his suffering, we are healed. So that's four times he's repeated the same thing, just in a different way. For the transgression of my people, he was punished, it says in verse 8. And then in verse 10, it says, the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. And again, that's, that's a reference to Jesus being like the Passover lamb and being there to be sacrificed for us once and for all. So absolutely um, God is banging home this message. It's like he's got a loudspeaker and he's saying to the Israelite people, and he's saying to us, Jesus has died for your sins. This is why he came. This is why he was the Messiah and why he was needed. Okay, so that's fantastic. But the final sort of thing I'd like you to take away from Isaiah um, 53 is in verses 11 and 12. And that is just to show that Yes, Jesus came and he died for us. That's fantastic, that's brilliant. But also he accomplished a major victory which would see him raised high in heaven and all of the Bible focuses on Jesus and points to Jesus. And the exaltation that he receives is really important. So we find at the end here that despite his suffering, despite the fact of everything he went through and the fact he died, Jesus is going to have a victory here. Jesus is going to be lifted high and be seated at the right-hand side of God. It says, after he had suffered, he will see the light of life, he will rise again, and he will and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. That means he died for us and was numbered with those wrongdoers like us. So he, he died and he took us in upon him. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession 
with for the transgressors. So this is amazing victory, it's an incredible victory, and if we get anything out of Isaiah 53, it's that Jesus has won a victory, and he won it for us through his own punishment and his earthly punishment. So the message of Isaiah 53 for the Jewish people when they were reading was good news is coming. Good news is on its way, don't worry. There's yes, you're going to be judged. Babylon is going to overtake you. You're going to be taken away from your own land. You're going to have a lot of hardship. But in the long-term future, everything's going to be right because I'm going to send my saviour and he's going to come as a messiah and he's going to save you of your sins. And eternally, you're sorted. Um, for us, the news is even better because good news for us is here. The good news has come. It's good news we can share with people because it's happened. Jesus, um, 740 years after it was prophesied, came as predicted. Um, we can take great strength in that. And because of his once and for all sacrifice, we are saved. So good news is here for us. And finally, just to round up, what does this message mean to us? What can we take from it? Well, first of all, we can take amazing joy in the good news of Jesus. Um, This is incredible. This is amazing. He's had the victory. He's conquered death and sin. This is an incredible thing. It gives us victory. It gives us freedom. It means that we can live knowing that, you know, we don't have to try and reach a level of goodness to get ourselves into heaven because it would never work. But we have been saved through Jesus Christ. I think we can reflect on what Jesus did for us, for the suffering he went through, the hardship he went through, but we can delight in the victory he had and the fact that he conquered sin and death. And I think personally, when I read Isaiah 53, it gives me a lot of confidence in my faith because I see that somebody has predicted Jesus 740 years or however many years it was written before Christ, and it was written before Christ, that he predicted Jesus' coming perfectly. And the Old Testament, how the whole Bible lines up, gives me a lot of faith personally. Um, and strengthens that faith. And I hope that it strengthens yours as well, seeing how wonderful and amazing this, this small chapter is. And finally, I'd say, if, you don't, if you've chosen not to believe in Jesus yet, if you haven't believed in Jesus yet, I'd say that Isaiah 53, I hope, will help you to come to a belief that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is your Saviour. Because speaking at the start of this chapter, God himself, speaking through Isaiah, predicts the fact that the Jewish people are going to reject Jesus. He predicts the fact that not many people are going to believe in this, the the passages, the the bits that he's going to reveal about what the Savior's going to do for them. In Isaiah 53, 1, he says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And he's almost crying out, This is what Jesus is going to do for you, but very few of you are going to believe. Who has believed our message? Who has believed the message that I'm giving in Isaiah 53, that Jesus is the Son of God and has come to cleanse your sins? And the answer was hardly anybody. And even today, there are very few people who believe in Jesus. There are many people, very few people who give their life to Jesus. So I'd ask you, if you haven't believed in Jesus yet, I'd ask you to consider believing in Jesus. I can ask you to consider giving your life to Jesus. And um, that's a very easy thing for you to do. There's no particular right or wrong way. You don't necessarily have to talk to somebody to do that or to say the exact words of an exact prayer. You can just pray to God and say, Jesus, I believe in you and I give my life to you. And that will start you on your road to faith with, with, with God. Um, so I'd say, if you do want to do that, if you haven't believed that you want to do that, maybe talk to somebody you know. You can talk to me or Tony or Andrew. Um, or you can talk to anybody, to be honest, who you trust and who knows God. And ask them to just sit down and pray with you. Um, because, yeah, as God asks, who, who believes? Who has believed this message? And I hope that 
you and I hope that all of us can say that we generally do believe in Christ. Because there are a few people who do. It's a narrow road, but it's an amazing road. And if we follow Christ, he has the victory. We can see he's cleansed our sins. He's done everything for us. So I'd ask you just, have you believed? Are you one of those believers?